0: This is Everything Energy, produced by the International Energy Agency. Welcome back to Everything Energy, a podcast created by the International Energy Agency that looks at current energy issues as well as the future of the global energy system. I'm Tanya Daihan, and earlier this week, my co host Jad Malwad was at IEA headquarters for the launch of our Renewables 2020 report. We caught it with Heimi Bahar, Senior Analyst in Renewable Energy Markets and Policy, and lead author of this report, to discuss a few key elements of the analysis, including solar's rise to the top of electricity generation and the importance of renewables in sustainable recovery plans. This year, for the first time, you can read the whole report and explore its data on our website at iea.org.
1: Amy, thanks for joining us. So this year, 2020, is going to be the worst year for energy demand. Um, it's even worse. And we've talked about this before at the IEA. We've talked about this before on the podcast. This year is going to be even worse in terms of demand drop than the part period that followed the financial crisis a decade ago. If you put this in perspective for our um, listeners, the drop we're seeing this year is seven times bigger than the drop in demand we've seen a decade ago. But... There's some major change this time and a bright spot in the energy sector, which we're going to talk about, and that is renewables. The renewable sector, which has adapted very, very rapidly to the challenge of the pandemic. So, Hemi, um, how do you explain the resilience of the the, the renewable sector, which seems to defy the pandemic? And would you go as far as to say as the uh, renewable sector is immune to COVID?
0: Uh, Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Jad, in this podcast. Uh, Renewables are definitely resilient, our analysis proves that, and they are actually close to be immune to the crisis. Uh, Why I'm saying this? uh, Because of the electricity uh, contribution of renewables. Uh, While global energy demand uh, will decline by 5% uh, this year uh, due to the demand shock that we are seeing in our daily lives. but renewable electricity generation will increase by 7%, totally the opposite direction. But obviously, the story is not over. We need to look at renewables in multiple sectors. Some sectors are more resilient than the others or more hit than the others in this case uh, renewables in transport sector is hit very hard Uh, actually with the demand we see a decline in biofuels significant that we haven't seen for two decades Uh, and for renewable heat we will see also decline uh, basically on bioenergy consumption in industry
1: okay so we'll unpack those we'll get to transport in a minute we'll get to heat um, but we want to start with with the power sector because this is where we're seeing these big headline um, numbers go up. And obviously renewables is used in beyond the power sector, but that's also one of the challenges, I, I, I guess, for, for renewables. So in those areas where it is being used, it's being used a lot more. Um, and last month uh, we released the World Energy Outlook, uh, which kind of crowned solar as the king, um, Long live the king, I guess, because here in your report, you're really validating the outlook for 2020 and for the next few years. So walk us through a little bit about kind of what is this great solar story? Of course. So uh,
0: in 2020, first of all, uh, we will see, despite all these uh, disruptions, crisis, uh, the supply chain problems, we will see renewable capacity additions to increase despite the crisis. So I would like to emphasize this. Uh, And uh, the majority is solar. Uh, And the solar's uh, uh, resilience, especially in the large-scale projects, is proven in almost every part of the world, where uh, in United States, in China, uh, after a few hiccups, uh, developers really increased uh, the uh, construction activity to complete the projects. And it is important to mention that solar accounts for now 50% of all increase in global uh, electricity capacity, uh, which means an impressive number. And our analysis shows that this number will not stay the same, will not decline, but will just increase. And uh, solar uh, will be even uh, uh, continue to carry its crown uh, in the coming five years. Uh, And uh, if we will see, which we will come later, Judd about the policy improvements, we can see actually much faster growth of solar. And uh, uh, we will see that, I think, in the next coming months and years, how the policies uh, uh, work.
1: Yeah, definitely. We do want to talk about policies, but let's talk about what's driving this growth in solar right now. So obviously cost declines. And here you're talking about solar, all types of solar technologies. Maybe give us a few kind of details here.
0: Of course. So first of all, solar costs continue to decline in 2020 and they will continue to decline in the coming five years. Solar right now in almost all parts of the world is the cheapest way of producing uh, electricity. Uh, and in some parts of the world, recent uh, prices show that it's actually competitive with existing fossil fuel generation uh, that are that we're already generating. So, this is also an important thing in India, for instance, in some states. This already happened last year and the year before. So, we are seeing a big shift of costs, uh, which is one thing. Uh, the second thing is the utility scale projects, which are large, which have economies of scale. And then uh, we see that developers in this crisis situation are moving more to bigger and bigger projects in order to take advantage of economies of scale. But one segment of solar which gets hit uh, uh, relatively is the rooftop PV. Why rooftop PV is fit, is, is hit is, is a quite easy explanation, uh, if we can do it in one sentence, is that these are small investors. In the economic crisis, their priorities change. Obviously, uh, they turn into a survival mode and investing in a solar rooftop, even though it's economically available, it may not mean that they have cash available to invest. So that is the problem that we see, but we don't expect this to take too long.
1: So this is very much cyclical. That will that will pick up um, in your in your forecast.
0: Uh, exactly. Definitely, uh, they will pick up. It's a hiccup, I will say, in the short term, uh, because. Uh, Even for the rooftop small projects in most parts of the world, if you install them, you make money, uh, which is very simple calculation. And uh, uh, we will see more and more policy frameworks supporting them, too, uh, because it's democratization of energy.
1: Definitely. So we'll get back to a bit of the competitiveness of solar. But before we, we get into that... Um, solar and wind have been driving this this renewables growth. So let's not forget about wind. Here too, you foresee a, a spectacular increase in wind with also their cost declining by 40% in the next five years. So where's this appetite coming from?
0: Uh, wind sector uh, is Driven mostly by this year, uh, two important uh, uh, factors, uh, and uh, there's a lot of a uh, backlog of projects uh, that so uh, that needs to be completed by 2020 due to policy deadlines. Um, in previously, when we updated this pro uh, forecast in May, we saw really important supply chain disruptions in um, uh, in wind sector. But uh, when we look at After May, we saw that the wind industry immediately adapted to the new normal conditions both supply chain and construction activity, and then it picked up quite fast. So that's why we expect 2020 wind capacity additions to increase actually uh, significantly compared to last year, uh, both offshore and onshore, uh, and will make it uh, an important jump uh, even after uh, 2020 and 2021, which is a critical, uh, sh- a critical proof of the resilience of the sector.
1: Right. And so, in fact, there's 2020, which is a very complicated year, 2021, which is uh, the proof in the pudding really here. But really, you're also issuing a five-year forecast in a very difficult environment. So uh, it's very bold analysis. <laughs> um, what's remarkable here is that one of the biggest headline findings you have is what that looks like in five years and the fact that renewables account for uh, 90% of total Power capacity growth, right? So, explain to us what that really means, because this is this is not the norm here uh, mm-hmm. in the market.
0: Yes, so actually it's higher than ninety percent uh, if you take into account the whole year. Uh, so, what what's going to happen? We look at uh, every year we install new plants. They start generating. Some of them get out of the system. Uh, They leave the electric system because they are too old. We look at the net increase in the power system, which means from 2019 to 2025 in this case, we will see the net increase. And in this case, we see renewables uh, accounting for slightly higher than 90% of the growth. Uh, which means the rest is oil, gas, uh, not that much oil, but gas, uh, and a little bit coal, uh, and so on and so forth. This increase is a big shift compared to uh, historical levels, obviously. And uh, people, uh, many of our viewers uh, or readers are confused about this capacity versus generation. Uh, uh, we talk about capacity here and we get criticism that why don't you talk about generation because that's the most important thing. Indeed, in the next five years, renewables will account for 100% of the generation increase on top of the capacity uh, because... First of all is a 2020 is a demand shock the demand will decline then it will pick up slowly according to IEA uh, expectations but renewables will continue to grow significantly and will make up for the full increase of the generation so it's important job ja, to make this differentiation to our customers capacity versus generation but this year is actually both about 90% so we shouldn't be confused anymore
1: Exactly. So capacity is what can be generated, essentially, exactly is the the investment in what then can be generated. Exactly. Um, So before we get to where the growth comes in, and I think we want to get a little bit into sort of India, the China story, and what's next, I think there's another really interesting finding here, um, which again, in the grand scheme of things is just phenomenal. So if we go back to the early 1950s, we find that coal had the highest share in electricity generation. So the power that you get comes from coal, most of it. But before 2025, you're saying now that renewables will overtake coal as the number one source of power gen- of electricity generation. And that's, that's pretty stunning. This is another one of those historic moments. That's here to stay, right? So
0: that's definitely here to stay. Uh, And uh, actually, it can even be earlier if uh, the renewables accelerate faster, which is a possibility in our accelerated case, uh, depends on the government policy. So this this landmark uh, moment, uh, as we say, is going to happen somewhere between 24 and 25. It's quite important because it's since 1950s that for the first time coal will lose to become the champion of electricity to renewables um, and uh, renewables will become the largest source of Global electricity generation by providing one third of the full system. And Solar is the king, but hydro is the queen here in this case, uh, because hydro uh, provides will still provide the majority uh, of this uh, electricity that is coming from renewables. Solar PV leading the growth. We we say the we refer to it as a king, uh, but hydro and wind shouldn't be forgotten because uh, uh, they will provide a lot of electricity of this of this 33 uh, percent when you combine both uh, and including solar, and uh, it's an important landmark and and. I do not think it will change or reverse over time. Uh, All our long-term scenarios show beyond this report that this will continue.
1: Okay, give us a bit of uh, a sense of where this growth is going to come from uh, next year. So European Union, India, China.
0: Sure. Next year, uh, we will see renewable capacity increase, uh, uh, growing by 4%. So new additions, as we mentioned. and. There are two drivers to this. In this case, it's China and the United States. Uh, Why? Because there are policy deadlines that are coming uh, to an end uh, by the end of 2020, which were expiring, then extended in the United States a little bit for one more year, but it had a big impact of the deployment. So we will see that boost. And also in China, China decided in 2019 to phase out all renewable subsidies. So there is a big push of developers to get those subsidies. This is for 2020. 2021 is a different story where U.S. and China remain strong wrong, but... Uh increase is coming from mostly India. Uh, Big jump on Indian, especially solar PV uh, growth. Uh, India uh, mentioned in the launch presentation, maybe it's important to mention here that auctioned record level of uh, solar PV capacity this year, which will be commissioned in the coming years, 2021 included. And also European Union, we see an important shift after the 2030 targets and policies in the European Union. Countries are putting more efforts for the plan to reach new 2030 targets, and uh, we see Spain, France, Germany pushing uh, new capacity, and we will see a big jump in 2021 and beyond in the European Union because of the ambitious targets.
1: So you mentioned in the report also that beyond that, there's new policy certainty coming along. There's another big policy change, I think, that many people now expect with the result of the US election. So how does that impact or affect your um, your forecast? Sure. It's an important
0: uh, point, the policy, because in 2022, there is a lot of uh, policy uncertainty that is coming in. Uh, let me give you a few important ones. So, As I said, China subsidies are phasing out. A new plan will be announced in 2021, and we don't know how this will affect 2022. The same thing for the U.S. U.S. wind incentives are expiring this year and next. And 2021, we do not know what the new administration will implement. So it's a question mark. So we reflect these in the main case, um, and In the accelerated case, which we see about 25 to 30% more growth of renewables globally, we look at if those policy questions are addressed, how fast renewables could go. Uh, And uh, to answer that question, we go country by country and look at uh, the different options. And just to give you an example about solar PV, in 2022, solar PV capacity additions could reach 150 gigawatts, which is 50%, almost 50% more than today in just two years uh, in the accelerated case. And uh, just... 30% of this increase can come from China alone because China plays a big role. And another uh, one is coming from US, European Union. When you add these on top, you could see easily 140, 150 gigawatts coming online, which is an impressive growth in two years in the crisis mode. this is not impossible, but it requires policy attention and policy uh, resolutions uh, to problems, and uh, uh, which may be the case in the coming years. We will see.
1: So that's really interesting because your accelerated case sees this big ramp up. Um, at the same time, we are also seeing or hearing about policy, sort of more ambitious policies. I think there's a growing number of countries that have announced net zero targets for 2050. Clearly, that's going to have to ramp up over the years and decades. But is that the kind of policy shift that you would want to see for for you to be able to kind of get on this accelerated case ramp? This is the
0: first step. These big policy goals over the long term, it's the first step, but it's not enough. Then we need to look at what policy frameworks are implemented to reach those targets, which we actually look at more in detail. Because for instance, China announced uh, a net zero target, but we do not know in the next five years what will be the incentive scheme for renewables. Japan announced a similar one. Uh, in a similar situation, feed-in tariff uh, are changing towards a different policy. The details are being discussed. Uh, the same thing from the United States, new administration have very ambitious policies, but we don't know how they will be implemented. So we need more than the targets. Targets gives a pol- positive indication, but we need more details to understand how those targets will be achieved. This is what we watch for in every single market.
1: So with that goal in mind and those uncertainties you just mentioned, and at the same time an economic crisis that we're still living through and a health crisis, obviously with a pandemic that is still ongoing, what does that mean for investor appetite for renewables? It seems like there is strong appetite actually and that's being confirmed despite these very, very difficult economic conditions. Exactly. Uh, We looked at uh,
0: various resilience indicators this year. Uh, we like to talk about the resilience word. We say we prove the resilience, but we backed it up actually in the report. Uh, we looked at uh, various indicators uh, w- which can indicate that renewables are strong. And uh, the first one uh, was this uh, uh, performance of renewable companies in the stock markets. Why this is important? It can be speculative, of course, but it's important because it's important for their financial health. And it also gives an indication of the future future perspectives of the investors, whether they want to. And when you put this in contrast with the performance of overall energy sector versus wind and solar and renewable developers, you see a huge disconnect. While since the beginning of the year, um, overall energy indicators show a a 40 to 50 percent decline in the stock market performance, wind and solar uh, doubled and more than doubled. Uh, So this is an impressive growth and shows exactly what investors are doing. On top of this, we also looked at every single renewable energy auction. Not only countries continue to do the auctions, it's one part. You can do an auction, but nobody applies if the investor confidence is not there. But in this case, we saw a record level auction capacity, which has received bids from the investors, which means we tried. Another important indicator is that offshore wind financing reached a record level in the first half of the year, in the middle of the crisis. Uh, France, uh, UK, Netherlands finance large offshore wind projects. Uh, we are talking about trillion-level projects during the pandemic. So, which means it's positive. Right.
1: Right. So this is this is all um, uh, extremely encouraging for the renewable sector. Clearly. And to reach these net zero targets uh, 2050, 2060, renewables is going to have to be a very, very large part of the answer. It's not the only one, efficiency being another big one and and other technologies for hard to abate sectors. But even in this period, it's not all rosy for renewables. And I think I'd like to address a couple of sectors here that you mentioned, um, one that is close to my heart on aviation. In heat and transport, there seems to have been some missed opportunities. The IA talks a lot about a sustainable recovery, meaning that governments need to invest in an economic recovery that creates jobs, but also lays the ground for uh, energy transition and investing in sustainable recoveries. Here it seems like there's been a missed opportunity for biofuels particularly. So, um, one example you mentioned is the airlines. Walk us through that example.
0: Of course. So the airline industry uh, rightly so received uh, a lot of attention because it's hit hardest from this crisis. We don't fly anymore. At least I don't. Uh, very, nobody, few people very, do. <laughs> few, very few people do. And then it seems like it's been since March. So it seems like it will continue. Um, uh, an airline uh, demand which grow 50% and over the last few years, uh, the number of flights. Uh, when you look at now, it's completely the opposite uh, direction. So um, an airlines or uh, air traffic is the m- one of the most difficult ones to decarbonize. Why it's simple? Because electrification of huge airplanes carrying uh, hundreds of passengers with current technology is not really possible. So you have only fuels that can participate and biofuels is one option. Um, And biofuels have been used in airplanes over the last uh, three, four years, a lot uh, in a small percentages, uh, which is a good development, but it needs scale up. How do you achieve scale up? You create demand. How do you create demand? you use policies. So, so far uh, the policies for aviation has been extremely limited uh, and we thought that uh, this will be an opportunity for governments to, to implement it uh, and we are asking ourselves whether we are in a missed opportunity because we looked at in detail 30 airline uh, bailouts and only four of them put environmental conditions uh, which means four of
1: them out of the 30 bailouts four airlines were asked to increase
0: increase efficiency change the routes uh, not to compete with train uh, mm-hmm. uh, short mm-hmm. short routes not to compete with train routes and, and so on and so forth uh, fuel efficiency ground efficiency, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Which airlines were those? It's Air France, KLM, which is the same group, Austrian and Swiss. Uh, But uh, interestingly, only two of them out of those uh, had biofuels requirements, sustainable aviation fuels requirements. So that's it. Uh, In that sense, uh, obviously, uh, most of the money that is giving is not attached to any conditions. Uh, which is we are asking ourselves a question whether this is a missed opportunity. There's no judgment here because they are going through a very difficult time. But this may have been the opportunity to lower the cost of biofuels, advanced biofuels for aviation, uh, because you create a huge demand. Suddenly. And we calculated if those 30 airlines put only 2% requirement of sustainable aviation fuels, the current demand will have increased by more than 50 times. I repeat, 50 times. And if something increases by 50 times in two, three years, which means you have scale, you have demand, you have cost declines, uh, you have a better supply chain, uh, you have more companies investing it, and so on and so forth. So as of today, we don't see that. Maybe we will see.
1: Right. So another great uh, sort of... uh... Um, sense that uh, recoveries, economic recovery bailout plans should really include sustainable objectives, climate objectives, et cetera, because uh, we can see a very large leverage effect, uh, certainly, um, and and meet many uh, different goals at the same time. Um, We could go on a lot, Heimi. This has been really fascinating. Um, All of what you're talking about Uh, Good news for our listeners is online, is on the IEA website. Uh, Renewables 2020 report this year is entirely free. It's entirely online. Uh, We have over 150 charts online, all of your analysis. And also for the first time this year, we had a very elaborate data dashboard that uh, you can play with uh, looking at all kinds of metrics. Describe this a little bit for us because that's new for the IEA. Of course. So uh, uh,
0: it's almost like a revolution, I will say, for the uh, for the for uh, for our report, at least, uh, because we used to publish classical PDFs. Now the full report is online. Not only full report is online, the whole data is online and easy to use. In these uh, data visualization tool or dashboard that we have, you can explore our historical and forecast data on electricity, heat, and transport uh, for forty more than 40 countries, uh, which covers 90% of the market, uh, and the regional aggregates if you want to. Uh, and you can pick country, technology, sector, um, whatever form of data you want, and then you can visualize it, uh, which, is in, which will be very good. We think people will take advantage of using this, which is very important to us. And it's for free that you can explore this data uh, and uh, I think it's, it will attract a lot of attention and people will use it more and more. Um, it's an important for us to, to give this opportunity to people to, to play with the data.
1: Absolutely, very much part of the IA's digital transformation. Uh, and, and thanks for, for um, being a pioneer of that. So, this was Renewables 2020, uh, our, our forecast to 2025. And we were with Hemi Bahar, the main author of the report. Hemi, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your job. This was great.